Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. And we are going to continue on with this sermon ser- series, Indestructible Purpose. Set it right there for the, the recording. So what we've been talking about is, what is my purpose? And just a real quick recap of the last few weeks. The first two weeks we talked about identity. And the first week, our big takeaway is, do you know God? Right? When we're talking about purpose, so many times we start with, well, let's just really get in touch with ourselves and find out who we are. And, and that's, that's not it at all. We don't start with us. We start with who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? We look at him. The, the, you want to make yourself really miserable? Go look at a mirror for a really long time. Right? You stand in, for, uh, stand in front of a mirror long enough, you're going to start to see a lot of imperfections that you're not real happy with. And like, man. But you know what? If we start looking at the Lord, we realize we're created in his image. Not only do we know who he is, but then we get into the second week. Instead of seeing ourselves, what we see is ourselves in him. We realize that in him we have freedom. In him is our true identity. Not who we think we are, but who he says we are. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all struggled with times in our life where we try to put on ourselves identities that we shouldn't. And we even put on ourselves identities that other people say about us. And it can be very destructive at times. But there is freedom when we truly know who God says we are. Because that's our true identity. That's our true selves. And then the next week, we went from identity to ability. And we realized that God has created you with an ability, with a gifting, with a talent. And he's put that inside of of you. You are his workmanship. And that, that feels good. Then know that God created me for a reason. I'm not an accident. That I have purpose. And that brings us to today, which is community. That you weren't just created with ability, but you were actually created to make a difference. Now, make a difference how? Make a difference in the lives of others. To make a difference in community. Now, I understand that I might be preaching to the choir just a little bit today um, because I'm talking about community. And I, I want to make myself clear as we go into this. When I say community, I'm not talking about like Green Forest or Berryville or Harrison or wherever. I'm not talking about your community. When I say community, what I'm talking about is the body of believers that you gather with. That is your community. Look across the room today. This is our community. When we gather here on Wednesday night, that is our community. This brings me to my first point, which we find in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to go to verse 24. And this is what it says. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, I want to pause for a second because it says, let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. This is a command that the writer of Hebrews is giving us. We need to be thinking about, how can I stir you up to love and good works? Now, if you're not part of a community, how are you going to stir anybody up? If you're all by yourself, and like, I'm just going to do my own thing. 
How are you going to stir someone else up? Like every single person in here, you were created with an ability that you're supposed to use to stir other people up to do good works, to stir other people up to love. Then it goes on to say this in verse 25. It says, do not neglect, uh, not neglecting to meet together, that is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see that the time for Christ's return is getting closer and closer. If you look in your Bible, that word, the day, is probably capitalized. It's talking that the day of Christ's return is coming closer and closer, so we should be meeting together even more. It tells us to not neglect it. Like some people have gotten out of habit, and they use that word habit, which means we should be in the habit of gathering together. Point number one is simply this, go to church. You say, Pastor Drew, I'm here. Good, I know you are. If you're listening to this online or at home, you need to get to church. And here's the argument I hear so many people say. We don't have to go to church because we are the church. And that is true. We are the church. The, and when people use that, they mean church with a capital C. You are the church. And that's interesting. So that means when you go home, you are actually taking the church with you. When the Bible talks about the church is the bride of Christ, it's talking about the capital C church, the universal church. The word church is used in the Bible 114 times in the New Testament. But can I tell you, for those who say, well, I don't have to go to church because I am the church, of those 114 times, 90 of those times, it's actually talking about a local gathering, not the universal church. Even more, the word church in the Greek is ekklesia. And it literally means gathering. So when the Bible is talking about the church, it's talking about the gathering. If you're staying at home by yourself, reading your Bible, and trying to live out your Christian life in isolation, are you gathering? No. See, you were made for community. And as we talked about last week, and if you're following along with the devotions, this Upcoming week, you'll see that we are created to serve. Who are we going to serve? Others. And you can't serve others if you're not around others. Right? This is pretty basic stuff. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 14. It tells us this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here, what is that saying? It's saying, hey, we're all different, but if we're in Christ, we're all one body. How many know there's some different people in this room? 
Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, some of you are real different. Verse 14, I think I started in 12, but verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less than the body. And I, and I want to say, sometimes we do that. We walk into a church and we say, these people are really different than me. And then we walk out and we never go back. Sometimes some of you have maybe felt that about maybe this church. You're like, I just, they're just different than me. Good. Like, yes, that's a good thing. Let's continue on. 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We were created to be different. You were given an ability that's different than the people around you. God made you for a purpose. Like our hand has a specific purpose. Our eye has a specific purpose. If we're missing our eyes, we cannot see. If we're missing our ears, we cannot hear. And as we look around the room, there's many of us, and we're different. And some of you, instead of celebrating that difference and realizing the value that other person has in the body, we get frustrated. Why can't you just see? Well, I'm not an eye. I'm an ear. That's why. But the same thing we do to ourselves. Why am I so different than everyone else? Verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice. Right? H have you ever done this where, like, you get up in the middle of the night to go, like, get a drink of water, and it's dark, and as you walk through your house, you just, that, that pinky toe. What is it with that pinky toe? And it just slams into the dresser, and then you, like, the whole house is asleep, so you have the supersonic quiet scream you're doing. You've done it. You've done it. And maybe you've thought and said some things silently that you need to take to the Lord. Yeah. Such a little part, that pinky toe. And yet, when it suffers, the whole body suffers, right? And this is us as the body as we come together. And I've, I would say, like, when I've gone through hard parts of my life, I realize how do people get through these hard times without a local congregation? 
without a local body. Because in the hardest times of my life, I've had people surround me and love me. And same thing is true. Like, like when I've had some amazing parts of my life, like, like here in a few months, I'm getting married. And the body will come together and celebrate that. I, I, I wouldn't want it to be any other way. The body is meant to be there for us when we're going through hard times, to be there for us when we're going through great times. But can I say to us this morning that it's not just that here I have, we are the body of Christ, that there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. First of all, is that, like, like first of all, you, you need us. And second of all, we need you. And can I say, in this moment, this is where people start, start to feel like, well, that body just doesn't accept me. I just, don't feel, I just don't feel accepted by that body. And if you're listening to this at home, maybe you've been a part of a church in the past where you're like, yeah, that church, they just kind of rejected me. Can, can I say, the purpose isn't for the body to serve you, but for you to serve the body. Now, I, I know that churches can maybe get abuses of that at times. And that's a conversation you should have with church leaders. But I, I remember in a, a story that I've told before of a, a young man who was years and years ago, probably over a decade ago, came to this church. And he was a teenager, and he wanted to be a worship leader. And he wanted to have a meeting with me about how he wanted to be a worship leader. And I said, okay, and let, let's go have a meeting. And we sat down for this meeting. And as we talked, he expressed all of his hearts of how great he think he would be being a worship leader and what did he need to do to start walking into that role and i said i'll tell you what you need to do this wednesday i want you to go with me and we're going to take out the trash before and after church and he looked at me with this blank stare like, are you kidding me? You want me to take out trash? I just said, I want to be a worship leader. The reality is at the time, we had like five worship leaders. We didn't need another worship leader. We did need someone to take out the trash, though. And he went away. I thought I communicated well with him until his dad called me an hour later, telling me that I was being quite abusive abusive of him by asking him to take out the trash when he wanted to be a worship leader. I was looking for a heart of service, someone who would serve the body. Can I tell you, if he would have gladly taken out that trash, he would have been on that stage pretty quick. But because he wasn't willing to serve, then he's not ready to be a leader. The reality is we're not here so the body can make us feel good. So I can get up on the stage and be like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm a really great worship leader. We're here to serve each other. What can I do for you? Not what you, can you do for me? Go with me to John. Is this biblical? John chapter 13 and... And this is part of the Last Supper. And it's really important to know that in this Last Supper, Jesus is going to say and do the most important things. 
And in John chapter 13, we're going we're gonna to start at the beginning. It says now, in verse 1, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, it means he knew he was about to die on the cross. To depart this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it to his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. Can I say something like, this would not have been the first time the disciples had their feet washed. Now, I know for us in our culture, this is weird, right? If you've ever been in part of a foot washing before, it feels a little awkward, but the disciples had probably had their feet washed many, many times before. The difference is they'd never had their feet washed by their master, their teacher, their rabbi. This was the job of the lowly servant to do, not their teacher. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter shows that he doesn't understand by his next statement. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash for your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, which is weird. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He's saying, Simon, you already took a bath. It's just your feet that are dirty, man. Um, but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. He, he knows Judas is about to betray him. Guess whose feet he washed? Judas's. I'm only going to serve people if they will serve me or if they'll be kind to me. Like he knew the man was about to betray him, and yet he served him anyway. It's intense. Verse 12, when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, if then, excuse me, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And he goes on to say, like, I'm, I'm the master, and, and you're not greater than the master, so you should, 
you should do what I do. If I will humble myself and serve you, you should humble yourselves and serve one another. Here's the reality of living a Christian life. If you truly are a Christian, then you're serving other Christians. But I, I don't have time for it. Listen, you have time for whatever you want to do. I know this. A year ago, I did an Ironman triathlon. And I still don't know how I did it. You, It's crazy. But I made time for it because it's something I wanted to do. You will make time for the things that are important to you. You will make time to serve others if serving others is important for you. Well, I have a job. We all do. I have things going on. We all do. It, I don't know what to do. Well, like, if you were following along with the study last week, there was, a, like, a, a test you could take to find out some of the things you might be good at. And you can say, well, I might want to do this. Like, we are called as Christians to serve one another. My question is, are you serving others? And specifically the local congregation. Jesus was very clear about a few things. He said, love your enemy. You guys remember that part? That's true. You should love your enemy. Um, he said, be kind to the foreigner. That's true. We should be kind to, to the foreigner. Um, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's true. But he had this whole bit that he talked about a lot about loving other believers. If you look at the New Testament, which, by the way, people who want to sit at home and just say, well, I'm just going to read my Bible alone at home. Um, the New Testament was written to churches, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth. It wasn't written to an individual. There's, there's a little bit in there that's directed towards individuals. But by and large, your New Testament was written to gatherings of believers, to be read to a gathering, not to you. And you need to remember that when you're sitting at home reading your Bible by yourself, that that wasn't written to you as an individual. It was written to a group of believers. And Jesus and in the New Testament, Paul, there's this thing that keeps coming up about loving other believers, loving other followers of Christ. Like, yeah, we're supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love our enemies. But, but the statement made is this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by your love for your brethren, by your love for one another inside the church. That people on the outside will look at the inside and say, look at what they've got going on in there, the way they love one another in there. What about those in there that have screwed up? I mean, like Judas? Like, we have purpose in serving others, even those who have failed. What about the screwed up ones among us? Well, some days that's me, right? Yeah, we even serve each other when each other has screwed up, when each other has done the wrong thing. In Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Like, I'm going to totally honor you. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to outdo you, honoring you even more. Purpose is found in serving your faith community. And community is found in your local gathering, in your local church. You look around like this is the people we serve. This is the people we do life with. Are we always going to get it right? No. Will, will people in this congregation let you down? Yeah, and sometimes you will let them down too. But those are conversations we have. Right, and it's something that Stephanie and I were talking about yesterday. It's it's really easy to say you love someone when they're doing and saying all the things you like. Right? Have a disagreement, and then see if you still want to serve that person, because that's where true love is. True love is when I completely disagree with you right now but I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to love you. And let me remind us of the last week or two is that all the things that Christ calls us to do, he's calling us to do. Yeah, it starts with the heart, but everything that we hear, we should put into practice. It's something we should do. It's not just, yeah, I'll like you guys. Okay. This is not a sermon that says we need to like each other more. No, this is a sermon that says we need to serve each other. And guess what? Serving is tied to action. And I saw it this morning as we were in our, our men's prayer time. Robert asked for some crazy, crazy thing. And I was like, this is insane. And yet I saw the men of this church look at Robert and say, we're here. We're going to help you. That's serving one another. That's serving one another. I won't tell you what it is because it's crazy. I might be busy that day. Let's just say I'm not going to crossfit that day. That's for sure. Here's, here's what I want to end. You realize... The whole reason we're serving one another is not because we want people to like us. And that, that's, that's a struggle sometimes when we're serving others in our community. We're like, oh, I just want them to like me. That's not, the re that's not why you're supposed to be doing it. The reason we serve in community is because we want to be like Jesus to others. Like, I want to be Jesus to you. Jeannie Mayo used to say, let's be Jesus with skin on. Which I think, I don't know about the theology of that because Jesus has his own skin. But it is true, like, let me, let me be a Jesus that you can see right now. And what does that look like for you? Husbands, we're supposed to do that for our wives, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Like, how much did Jesus love the church? He died for her. So husbands, how are we supposed to serve our wives? We're supposed to die for them. That's rough. 
But that's the word of God. It's not about what can I get or what can she do for me, but it's how can I serve her? How can I best love her? And remember, these are things that we do. It's all about Jesus.